0: is a mysterious thing and by the way for extra credit can you name the movie that that slide is taken from anybody yeah Shawshank Redemption good work by you one of my favorites a blessing is a mysterious thing in Marilynne Robinson's Pulitzer Prize winning novel Gilead her narrator is an elderly pastor named John Ames And Pastor Ames lives in a small Iowa town called Gilead. His best friend, Boughton, is also a pastor in that town. They're so close that Boughton names his son after his friend, John Ames Boughton. But the boy grows up to be a disappointment, a scoundrel in many ways. The boy, now grown, comes home to visit his dying father. Pastor Ames meets up with him, his namesake and walks him to the bus depot. He gives the younger man a little money, and they wait for the bus together. The author writes, in the voice of Pastor Ames, Then I said, The thing I would like, actually, is to bless you. He shrugged. What would that involve? Well, as I envisage it, it would involve my placing my hand on your brow and asking the protection of God for you. But, But if it would be embarrassing, there were a few people on the street, No, no, he said, that doesn't matter. And he took his hat off and set it on his knee and closed his eyes and lowered his head and almost rested it against my hand. And I did bless him to the limit of my powers, whatever they are, repeating the benediction from numbers, of course. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give you peace. Nothing could be more beautiful than that or more expressive of my feelings, certainly, or more sufficient, for that matter. Then when he didn't open his eyes or lift up his head, I said, Lord, bless John Ames Boughton, this beloved son and brother and husband and father. Then he sat back and looked at me as if he were waking out of a dream. Thank you, Reverend. I told him it was an honor to bless him, And that was absolutely true. In fact, I'd have gone through seminary and ordination and all the years intervening for that one moment. He just studied me in that way he has. Then the bus came. I said, we all love you, you know. And he laughed and said, you're all saints. He stopped in the door and lifted his hat, and then he was gone. God bless him. Now, if that were a true story... Would that young man go forth blessed? Would he get what was given? Did God, in fact, bless him? It's an important question, because in many ways, that story is a Jacob story. Today, we pick up where we left off last uh, in the story of Jacob wrestling with God. There was nothing Jacob wanted more than to be blessed by God. That's what drove everything he did in life from birth on. He wanted the great blessings God had first given to his grandfather, Abraham, and then his father, Isaac. And likewise, there was nothing God wanted to do more than to bless Jacob. In fact, he had blessed him numerous times before, his family, his prosperity, the way he prevailed against Laban. So what were they wrestling over? The problem with God's blessing on our lives is not that we don't want it or that God doesn't want to give it. The problem is that we don't realize what is required for us to receive it. That's why I wonder what will happen to John Ames Bounton in the story I just quoted. He was blessed, but would he receive that blessing? Uh, The way Jacob had tried to get God's blessing all his life was by heel grabbing, which, as we've learned, is what Jacob's name means. He sought to gain God's blessing by deceiving and conniving and manipulating others. I guess his theory was that to get God's blessing, you had to get there on your own and ahead of everybody else. The, The blessing goes to the winner. But that was where things went wrong. The other problem Jacob had is that in spite of all of God's promises to bless him throughout his life, Jacob, let's be honest, Jacob did not trust God. He believed in God, but he did not trust God or his promises. Why else would he cry out in his wrestling, I will not let you go unless you bless me. We want to say you are blessed, Jacob. You just don't believe it. With God, you cannot enjoy his blessings if you do not trust him. You cannot enjoy his blessings if you do not trust him. As I've said before, Jacob is an everyman. He is me, he is you. And in these two blessing-busting weaknesses, he is like us. First, in thinking God's blessings must be achieved, and second, in not trusting God or his blessings, his promises. And that is why God wrestled with Jacob by the Jabbok River, and it's why God will wrestle with you and with me. He wants to pin us with his love so that we can begin to trust him. Today I want to show you what it takes for God to bless us. I want to remind you that we're looking at this section, these two chapters of Jacob's life, as a three-act play, and it's full of drama. Act 1 was two weeks ago. It it looks great at the beginning as Jacob heads home after 20 years of exile. But then things take a bad turn as Esau heads Jacob's way with 400 men, an army. Act 2 was last Sunday and today, the unexpected twist when things go from bad to worse as Jacob is ambushed in the night by a mysterious man and has to fight for his life. Act three is what happens when the two brothers, Jacob and Esau, finally meet. What kind of resolution will happen in the sermon next week? So let's read our text for today. We're continuing our series on lessons from Jacob's journey with God. We're on number 11 of 14, if you can believe it. We're in the home stretch. And this is a series, as I've said often. Uh, for disciples. It's not just about Jacob, it's about me, it's about you. It's a disciple's life, the blessing and the limp, both of which we receive in our own journey with Jesus, just as Jacob did. And I've got to say, some of this stuff I'm finding has been percolating in me and in my heart over a lifetime of pastoral ministry. So I appreciate this opportunity to reflect against this backdrop of, of Jacob's life in the Word of God. Our text today will help us see what God must do to bless us. That's the title of today's message, what it takes for God to bless us. The setting, Jacob is lying spent and crippled at God's feet. The wrestling match is over. Verse 29 of Genesis 32, this is the word of God. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. What it takes for God to bless us. First, to bless us, God must disable us. To bless us, God must disable us. How many of you like the sound of that? (laughs) I don't. God must disable us. Jacob wrestled with God because he thought that was the only way to get God's blessing. He'd been grabbing heels to get ahead all his life, and here he was grabbing God's heel now. I will not let you go unless you bless me, he said. I kind of picture him sprawled out on the ground, both arms locked around one of God's legs while God tries to pull away. (laughs) He had to prevail over God like he had prevailed over everybody else, right? The blessing of God goes to life's winner, right? To the person who has fought and prevailed, right? Well, that was Jacob's manner of thinking. It's in our blood to think the same thing. We think God will bless us if we're good, if we try harder, if we do better, if we jump through the hoops, if we keep the rules. Surely God smiles on the girl with the most gold stars and the boy with the most trophies. Not on the losers who never tried. never won. In order to make us see what God's blessing is all about, that it's all about his grace and nothing about our achievements, God will disable you if he must. He will. He will disable you if he must. He knows how to cripple your star-making talent, your trophy-winning skill. Just as he touched Jacob's hip so that he collapsed and had to stop wrestling for the win, so God will touch us somehow. He will disable us somehow. This is very important. His blessing comes with a limp. Do you have a blessed limp? Do you have a blessed limp? God has disabled me over the years, as you've heard me describe. I limp from those events, literally. Literally but also in other ways. I'm not as self-reliant and independent as I used to be. And I've come to know that that is a very good thing. I have my hip-wrenching stories, and I suspect you have yours too. Grace is at work in these limps of ours. But it is a strange kind of grace that disables us to bless us, is it not? It is because the blessing of God does not go to the winners, but to those who surrender, who surrender to him. Not to the strong, but to the weak. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul wrote about his thorn in the flesh as a terrible affliction with which he had to live. This is what he wrote, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, and see if you can see yourself here, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, bring it on. I want to know Christ. See, God had disabled the Apostle Paul with a thorn in his flesh. Paul didn't want it. He asked God to take it away. God said no. Has God disabled you in some way? Has he taken away an ability, a strength, something precious, a position that you depended on, something for success or significance or security? Are you able to delight in those weaknesses you now have in your life? For if you do, here's what happens. You enter into sharing in the sufferings and the death of Jesus in those weak and broken places. And that is where the resurrection and the life of Jesus comes just rushing in to meet you. Right there, in your greatest weaknesses. So consider yourself blessed in your brokenness, for God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's how it works in God's world. Next, uh, to bless us, God must change our identity. God must disable us. And secondly, God must change our identity. Uh, R.C. Sproul shares the story of a very bright and capable college student he once taught who had cerebral palsy which compromised uh, his muscle control and garbled his speech. This is what Sproul writes. One day he came to me vexed with a problem and asked me to pray for him. In the course of the prayer, I said something routine with words like, Oh God, please help this man as he wrestles with this problem. When I opened my eyes, the student was quietly weeping. I asked him what was wrong, and he stammered his reply. You called me a man. No one has ever called me a man before. Giving that student a different identity. You are a man. You are not a disability. You are not a problem. You are a man. That changed the way that he would wrestle in his life. And something like that happened to Jacob in his quest for God's blessing. If you consider again what happened in verses 27 and 28 that we looked at last week, when God gave Jacob this new name, we spent a lot of time on that strange name in the previous sermon. And we said that while the verses could lead us to assume that Israel means he struggles with God, it actually means more closely, God struggles. God struggles. Now, in a sense, it doesn't matter which it is. If God struggles with me... I'll have to struggle with God. That's how it works. The point is that Jacob, the deceiving heel grabber, now becomes known as Israel, the God wrestler. Now that's an improvement, don't you think? But it's still a bit of a dubious name at best. I myself would prefer a new name more like Rock or Prince or, you know, Son of Thunder, something like that. But that new name fit Jacob, didn't it? And it fits the nation he fathered. It fits us as followers of Jesus. The point of this new name, as strange as it is, is that this man would be known henceforth by his connection with God, even though the connection is a wrestling match that left him limping. We normally think of people limping to meet God in order to be healed not limping after meeting God as a witness of having been blessed. Not too many people are interested in limping. Are any of you interested in limping? I can give you some lessons. Yeah? Okay. See me afterward. Yeah. Not too many people are interested in limping. I am now, but I didn't used to be. But you see, the limp is a testimony of Jacob's encounter with God. Uh, The limp is a constant, tangible reminder every day of his blessing from God and his connection with God. Jacob walked with a limp. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. So why do we feel like we have to win the lottery in order to be blessed by God? Is that what blessing means? But here we discover a limp. A limp reminds us of God's blessing. You see, maybe God is ready to change your identity. Maybe God is ready to give you a new name. Maybe you've been a deceiver, or maybe your name is anger, or bitterness, or selfishness, or loneliness. God is ready to give you a new name, one that reflects a new you, a you that is changed and being transformed by the living God. As Jacob begins to become that man that God called him to be, he gets a new name, a new identity. So what name would that be for you? Faithful? Truthful? Thankful? As you wrestle with God, new things happen. We may end up walking with a limp, but we also walk with a new perspective, a new way of seeing, seeing God, seeing ourselves, seeing the world, seeing the way God is working through us now to bless others. Our relationship with God is often a sweat-stained, spirit-exhausting, wrestling kind of relationship. Our relationship with God in this life will never be very easy. My will and his clash often how about you but we are locked together till this life is over because of his grace to me in Jesus Christ it's messy and it's painful but that's the way it is in this fallen broken sinful world what is it that our church vision says you have it on the front of the bulletin every every Sunday that this is a place this is a family where The broken are made alive and whole, finding hope and purpose in Jesus. To bless us, God must change our identity. Finally, to bless us, God's face must shine upon us. To bless us, God's face must shine upon us. Verse 29 is strange. Why did Jacob ask, please tell me your name? I think he knew who he was wrestling by then. Please tell me your name. In the Bible, as we've seen, a name sums up a person, his character, his identity, who he really is. The name that sums up God is way beyond our reach, way beyond our understanding, way above our pay grade. So why even put that exchange in the story? I think it's there to remind us that while the Lord does not reveal his name there, he does reveal himself. He reveals himself. I puzzled a bit over the simple statement in verse 29, then he blessed him there. I'll tell you why. I want to know what the divine stranger said in the blessing. I want to know the words of the blessing. (laughs) But I guess what he said was not the point, because it's not there. Look at verse 30. The translation we have is a little misleading. It leads us to think that Jacob believed he had somehow survived in spite of seeing God up close and personal. True enough, but that's not all. Remember when Jacob heard that his brother Esau was coming with an army of 400 men? In verse 11, earlier in this chapter, he had prayed at that point, save me from the hand of my brother, save me. That same word is used here in verse 30. I saw God face to face, and my life was saved. It's the same word. Save me. My life was saved. His life wasn't saved in spite of seeing God face to face. His life was saved because he saw God face to face. The blessing Jacob received was seeing God's face. That is the face of grace. But even still, that isn't the whole point of the passage. You remember that phrase in the book of Numbers and that blessing God gave to Aaron to use to bless his people. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Well, now look at how the author puts what happens next in verse 31. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel which means face of God. That's what Peniel means, face of God. And he was limping because of his hip. So the one who wrote that meant for us to see a connection between the sight of God's face and the rising sun of a new day dawning in Jacob's life. The blessing Jacob received was the certainty that God was shining his grace upon him. The blessing of God had always been upon his life, but now, now having uh, seen God's face really shining upon him, he, he's able to believe it. He's finally able to accept it and receive it. And once he believed God's face was really shining upon him, he knew that the Lord was being gracious to him. He knew he was saved. My life has been saved, he said. So Esau posed no threat to him anymore, Do you see? Because he was certain God was with him. And his limp was a permanent reminder that God had blessed him and was with him. But that blessing, you see, came with a limp. We want the blessing without the limp. It doesn't often work that way. This is why, and I have to tell you, the only reason why I love limping. How about you? How do we see... The faith producing sunshine of God's face. Well, through the grace of God extended to us in Christ. It's that simple. There's no alternative. We must draw near to Jesus. We must draw near to Jesus. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, that the knowledge of the glory of God is in the face of Christ. Do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to experience the glory of God? look to Jesus. The knowledge of the glory of God is in the face of Christ. So Jesus came and he showed us the face of the Father in all its shining grace. Read the stories and the words of Jesus in the Gospels. Read how the rest of the Bible describes him and points to him and is fulfilled in him and then spend some time with him. Pray, pour out your heart and listen. For you and me, Jesus is that unknown stranger who ambushed us in the dark, as he did with Jacob. He is the one Charles Wesley called, O Thou Traveler Unknown, in a hymn that we don't sing. I don't know if I've ever heard it, but I came across these lyrics. In this hymn that he wrote, O Thou Traveler Unknown, Wesley sees himself as Jacob and Jesus as the one with whom he wrestled. So listen to these hymn lyrics Wesley wrote. My strength is gone, my nature dies. I sink beneath thy weighty hand. Faint to revive and fall to rise, I fall. And yet by faith I stand. That's Jacob. That's Wesley. That's me. That's you. And finally, Wesley names the unknown traveler, I know thee, Savior, who thou art, Jesus, the feeble sinner's friend. Nor wilt thou with the night depart, but stay and love me to the end. Thy mercies never shall remove. Thy nature and thy name is love. That's Jesus. So in the story I read at the beginning of the message, what would it take for that young man, that young scoundrel, John Ames Bounton, a Jacob in his own right, what would it take for him to be blessed? Well, for one thing, God's blessing would have to be given, which it was. For another, he had to want to be blessed. So the question is, did he receive that blessing? I think the man you see in the, in the slide received the blessing. You know, pouring down, arms wide open. Don't don't you think he received the blessing? (laughs) That was a blessing given, a blessing wanted, a blessing received. This past summer, our oldest son got married in his prime at the age of 39. He was the last of our four sons to be married. He watched all his younger brothers get married. He was a great best man. But that was a weekend full of fun, and love, and laughter. A friend of theirs officiated. They did not ask me to officiate, which was consistent with where they were spiritually. So I was not surprised, but it was still pretty hard. So I sat with our family uh, in the front row during the ceremony. And I have to tell you, I got a whole new perspective with one of my grandsons on my lap, the other two just down the road to my left, and I got to look at all four of our sons standing up together as groom and groomsmen. It was a beautiful sight. I had no role at all in the ceremony. But he and his bride had asked me to share some thoughts at the reception uh, during the time for toasting. So I was honored. I said, yes, yes, of course, yes. So at the reception, I started out by thanking everybody for all they had built into Tim and Andrea's lives over the years. And then I shared two of my best, you know, young Tim stories, and I ended by telling them how much I loved them and saying that as a father, I got the joy and the privilege of blessing them in their new life together with an ancient blessing. So I just extended my hands toward them, and, you know, my eyes were riveted on their eyes. And I said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I gave my firstborn son and his new wife the Lord's blessing. Now my prayer is that they will want it and that they will receive it. I can't control that. I can't make that happen. I I can't make them want or receive God's blessing. That's in the hands of God where it should be, God the mighty wrestler. And I know he's wrestling with them. I believe that with all my heart, as he has with me. I love giving benedictions. It's one expression of God's blessing on his people. Whenever I talk or visit with folks who are relatively new to our church, I like to ask them, what are your first impressions of our church? And at times I've been very surprised to hear someone say, the blessing that you gave us at the end of the service. In all my life, I'm not sure I've ever been blessed like that before. So when the worship service is ending in a few minutes and we're, we're asked to stand for the benediction, some of you may start shifting gears to be gathering up your things or thinking about what's for lunch. I do that sometimes. But I hope you will always stop and, and focus so you can receive the Lord's blessing. And when I'm not preaching and I'm in the congregation, um, one of the things that I've started to do is I, I just... I just put my hands together like this. Some of you sitting up front may have noticed me doing that. I started doing this a while ago in order to just help myself focus. I get so distracted, you know, to just help myself focus physically and intentionally to remind myself that I need to receive the Lord's blessing. It's there. Will I receive it? You know, it's not easy. It's not even easy even for Almighty God to wrestle us into receiving the blessing that he wants to give and that we so desperately want to have. It reminds me of an Australian prize fighter I read about one time. They've apparently got very different boxing rules over there because he wired his father after a bout he had just fought, saying, One easily in 84 rounds. (laughs) Won easily in 84 rounds. Are you kidding me? 84 rounds? I wonder if that's how God felt when he vanished from Jacob's presence after wrestling with him that night. Maybe that's how he feels about his bouts with me or his bouts with you. Won easily in 84 rounds. You know, God always wins easily, but praise God, he is willing to keep struggling with us. He does not grow tired or weary of working with us. He he can win so easily, but he is willing to keep at it, wrestling with us over the course of our lifetime. He won't quit, so that we may know his love and receive his blessing through Jesus Christ and come to rest and trust in him. And that's what it takes for God to bless us. Amen?